Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. Today we're going to be taking a look at James, and of the 12 disciples of Jesus Christ, the most well-known are Peter, James, and John, right? They're kind of the inner circle of Jesus. You would see them kind of separated out. Uh, They're often the first three disciples that are listed, and we've taken a look at Peter. Peter was the first disciple that we took a look at a few weeks ago, and uh, really there's a lot more that we could say about Peter. Uh, Peter is mentioned a lot in the Gospels. We know about him in the book of Acts. We know about his letters that were written, and and really there's a lot that we could write about, Uh, but we, we did take a look at Peter. We're going to take a look at John. John is the same way in many ways. John has so much that we could uh, uh, talk about and study in the life of John. John, of course, wrote one of the Gospels. We know he was one of the disciples, mentioned many different times. We know that he wrote a number of letters. Of course, he wrote the book of Revelation. There's a lot of things that we could say about Peter and John, but today we're going to take a look at James, and James is a little unique compared to the other two, Peter, James, and John. This James is a little unique because even though he was part of that inner circle, we know so little about him. Right? We know a lot about Peter. Peter was the leader. Peter was outspoken. Uh, Much was said about Peter. We know about Jesus' interaction with Peter. We know a lot about John. John was part of that inner circle, and uh, much has been written about him, or he has written a lot, and there's a lot about him in the Gospels. But James is not mentioned as much. And often, uh, most of the time, whatever we do know about James is really shared with his brother John. They're mentioned together, even in the passage that we read, James and his brother John. Which is interesting because James is actually the older brother. James is older than John. He's the one that is mentioned first. But he is the one that is less mentioned. Which made me think about, well, if we're going to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, being a disciple isn't about being well-known, and it's not about being individually highlighted. Because being a disciple is about following Jesus, right? Our lives are not about ourselves. It is about the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus was what we might call a core disciple, one that was faithful and committed. And I want to ask us, all this morning, are we faithful, committed disciples of Jesus Christ? Because James was at the middle of what Jesus was doing. He was at the middle of wherever Jesus went, James was there, and James saw some things, and James participated in things, and it gives us a good question to ask ourselves. Are we at the middle of what God is doing? Because God is working, and God desires to work. And are we in the middle of that? Or are we on the fringes? Are we on the edges watching other people be there close to Christ, following Christ, ministering with Christ and serving him and seeing some wonderful things to be done? Once again, the series, I've titled it Ordinary, and it's about how Jesus chooses and uses regular people. This is about We are all regular people. We are ordinary people, but we serve an extraordinary God who desires to work through us. So I hope that we'll be challenged to think about, well, we do serve an extraordinary God and to follow him. I want to take a look at a few aspects of James this morning as one of these, what we might call, core 
disciples. The first of which is that James was a favored disciple. James was a favored disciple. He had some, what we might call special privileges, some things that we might think about in terms of, well, James in his standing and his situation seems to be in a privileged situation. The first of which is he had a privileged family standing. James comes from a family that apparently had some privilege. Multiple times, he and his brother are called the sons of Zebedee, which indicates to us that Zebedee must have been, been somebody for him to be listed, right? James and John, fairly common names, but if you said, oh, James and John, the son of Zebedee, they would say, oh, okay, this family, right? And so, you know, mentioning the father is significant and can, kind of carries some weight with the children as well. For an example, in the, in the Seattle area, there were three siblings that grew up together. About 10 minutes from where I live, their names were Jennifer, Rory, and Phoebe. Just to tell you a little bit about these kids, Jennifer likes to ride horses uh, and is a medical student in New York. Rory apparently went to Duke University, currently studying uh, to, have an, uh, to get an MBA, apparently going into business. Phoebe, I think being the youngest, is currently at Stanford, loves social media, goes on social media, does things on social media, and uh, these are these three kids. Now, mentioning these three kids, you might think, oh, they went to you know, pretty good colleges. They seem to be doing fairly well for themselves, Jennifer, Rory, and Phoebe, but those names don't really mean anything to you, right? But if I said Rory, Phoebe, and Jennifer, the children of Bill Gates, your head might be like, oh, Bill Gates' kids, right? So when I say Jennifer, Phoebe, and Rory, now you're thinking, oh, these are special kids, right? Oh, they have special privileges. That's kind of how I imagine when it says in Mark chapter 3, verse 17, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James. There's, there's some elevated status there. We don't know exactly what exactly made uh, Zebedee kind of well-known, but it seems like there was some stature to the family. Not only that, we know that the family was known to the high priest. So in John chapter number 18, when Jesus has been arrested, he has gone in and he's standing before, you know, the priests and the Pharisees. The Bible says in verse number 15, and Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. That disciple, this is John, was known unto the high priest and went in with Jesus unto the palace of the high priest. So here is John, and uh, James wants to go in to where Jesus is, and James, uh, John is the one that lets him in, because John is known to the high priest. So uh, obviously, this would have been a fairly prominent family in some ways if they were known by the high priest. The high priest would have recognized them. Uh, verse number 16, but Peter stood without the door, then went out that other disciple, which was known unto the high priest, and spake unto her that kept the door and brought in Peter. So the maid and the, the people there, they didn't know Andrew and Peter, but they did know James and John. So this is a family from Galilee. They are fishermen, but apparently their family is special in some kind of a way. So James was a privileged uh, individual in terms of his family. He was also privileged in his financial situation. When we read in Mark chapter number one, you're there in Mark chapter three. If you go back a couple chapters to verse number 20 of chapter number one, the Bible says, and straightway he called them, this is James and John, he straightway called them and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants 
and went after him. So James and John, they're out fishing. They have come back in and Jesus there calls them to the ministry, calls them to follow him. And straightway they leave their father and the hired servants. So their business had grown to the point where they were able to hire people. Now, for the most part here in America, it's not that unusual. If somebody has a business and they hire some people, you hire a cashier, you hire somebody, stock the shelves, you hire somebody to answer the phones or whatever. But in those days, this was not that common. Most people were farmers and most people just worked the family farm. That's what you did. You don't really hire people. You just you just worked the farm. You just did what you could. And uh, sometimes people would have to go out and hope that they would get hired. You know, they were thinking, well, I don't have a job. I don't have a farm, but I have to survive somehow. So they would just go out into the courtyard where people would be like, hey, I'm looking for somebody who knows how to do this kind of thing. Hey, I, I can help you there. And, and so there was that kind of situation. But James and John are on the opposite end of that where they are able to be hiring other people. That means their family would have been doing pretty well, which would have made sense if Zebedee is, uh, you know, kind of well-known, maybe their business was doing well, and maybe that's self-perpetuating. Uh, so we know that James, he comes from a privileged family. We know his financial situ situation is probably pretty good. He was also privileged as a follower of the Lord. As we mentioned, James was part of that inner circle of the three. We know that there were more disciples than the 12. We're going to focus on the 12 through the series. There were more disciples than that. There were times when Jesus sent out 70. So there were more disciples, but we know about this 12 that Jesus specifically chose. And of those 12, three kind of had a special uh, 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 relationship with the Lord in some way in that they were taken to some places to see certain things that the other disciples didn't get to see, right? So in Matthew chapter number 17, verse number one, it records the transfiguration of Christ. It says, and after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up unto an high mountain apart and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias, or Moses and Elijah, talking with him. So imagine this situation as Peter, James, and John get to go with Jesus apart from the others. The others are left at the mountain, you know, kind of base. They are taken up into a mountain and Jesus is transfigured before them. You could kind of think of it this way. His glory in some ways is revealed. The Bible says that his face did shine as the sun and his raiment was white as the light. So you can imagine this this image of the Lord being changed. And now they're, whoa, this is special. Not only that, Moses and Elijah appear before them. And here is Jesus and Moses and Elijah talking together. And here is James and John and Peter looking at this like, wow, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't that be incredible to be able to see Moses and Jesus and Elijah standing there talking with each other, Jesus being transfigured, it's an incredible sight that not everybody got to see. James was one of those privileged people that got to see this. There's another aspect in, in the healing of Jairus' daughter in Mark chapter number five. In verse number 35, it says, while he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue, uh, this person is Jairus, his house Certain which said, thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? 
As soon as Jairus heard the word, or as soon as Jesus heard the words that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. So Jairus had sent a messenger over to Jesus, My daughter needs to be healed, can you come? And on the way, another messenger comes and says, It's too late, don't bother. Verse 37, And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he, came, and he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and seeth the tumult, and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, Why make ye this ado and weep? Why are you making this such a big deal? Isn't it interesting how the big things to us, to Jesus, are like, Oh, that's not a big deal. It'll be fine. Why? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. He knows what he's going to do. And they laughed him to scorn. Isn't that interesting? Jesus says, this is not a big deal. And everybody outright rejected that and said, what are you talking about? Jairus' daughter is dead. That's what they thought. But when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him and entereth in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talitha kumi, which is being interpreted, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of 12 years, and they were astonished with great astonishment. Can you imagine? The messenger comes and says, Jesus, you don't have to bother coming. She, she died already. And Jesus says, don't worry about it. Everything will be fine. And he goes there, and he's, everybody out there is weeping and wailing and crying out. And Jesus says, why make ye this ado? Oh, why, why are you weeping? Why are you so sad? And, and, and the response was they laughed him to scorn. But Jesus went in and raised the girl back to the dead. And you know who was there to see that? James. James and John and Peter and the mother and the father got to go in and see Jesus raise this person back from the dead. There's another incident in Mark chapter number 14 after Jesus, or right before Jesus is going to be arrested and eventually crucified. In verse 33, it says that he taketh with him Peter and James and John and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. This is kind of on the opposite side where uh, on the one hand, you see Jesus transfigured. On the one hand, you see Jesus raising this damsel from the dead. On the other hand, now you see the heaviness and the weight that is now kind of being poured out and, and being kind of visible. James was able to see that. The other disciples didn't get to see this. When you consider the, the situation of James, his family that he came from, the financial situation he probably grew up in, the things that he got to see that the other disciples did not get to see, you would think, wow, what a privileged disciple. That's the kind of privileged disciple that God could work in. And you might think, wow, look at all of the special advantages that James had. Of course, God could use somebody like that, because think about all the advantages that he had. But I'm here to tell you that you are privileged in a way that James never was. You have special advantages that James never had access to. We saw that James, he was able to experience some great things. He was there ministering. We don't know so much about James, but knowing a lot about some of the other disciples, we know that, wow, they, he, he went out and some great things happened, but he did it all without this advantage that you and I have today. Because if you were to ask James about us today, he would think that we were special. 
Wow, what a great advantage that you have. You know what the advantage is that we have that James never had? You know what James never had? He never had the New Testament. Have you thought about that? James didn't have the New Testament. He didn't get to read about the book of Acts. He didn't have it because it wasn't written. Now he lived through some of it, but he didn't have that book. He didn't have the book of Romans. He didn't have the book of 1st and 2nd Corinthians. He didn't have these letters to Timothy or to Titus. He didn't have the book of Revelation. All of those 27 books that are there at the back half of your Bible, he didn't have any of them. You're a privileged disciple. Did you know that? If you're following the Lord, you're privileged. In fact, in all of these passages, in all of these passages where we see James here in the Gospels, you see him in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In all of those passages, you take a look at these passages, James did not have that Holy Spirit dwelling within us that we do, right? Because we know that in the book of Acts, that's when the Holy Spirit came down and indwelt the disciples. And so we have the Holy Spirit. We have the Bible. We are privileged disciples. Amen? Oh, we're ordinary people, but God has given to us a special privilege that James didn't have. These Old Testament uh, uh, believers that trusted God, they did not have. We are special favored disciples. Not only that about James, we see that he was a favored disciple, but we also see that James, he was a flawed disciple. Now, all of these disciples are flawed, but uh, we're going to take a look at James's specifically here in Mark chapter number 10. In verse number 32, the Bible says, and they were in the way going up to Jerusalem and Jesus went before them and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. And he, and he took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen unto him, saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man should be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles, and they shall mock him and shall scourge him and shall spit upon him and shall kill him. And the third day he shall rise again. So here's the situation. The, Jesus is going to go and he's going to be crucified. He's going to Jerusalem and all of the disciples are, they're amazed, the Bible says, and they are afraid because, and I don't know if the disciples would have told Jesus this, but I'm sure one of them, maybe Peter even, would have said something. Hey, Jesus, uh, you, you say you're going to Jerusalem, but... Uh, you know they're trying to kill you over there, right? <laughs> like, I don't know if we should go over there. That doesn't seem like a safe place for us to go. And, and Jesus, you know, we don't know if the disciples said that, but we do know that Jesus said, behold, look, look, we are going to Jerusalem. And I'm going to tell you what is going to happen. I will be betrayed. I will be arrested. I will be condemned. I will be mocked. I will be whipped. I will be spit upon. And I will be crucified. But after three days, I will rise again. Now, for us, we, we know that. That's a wonderful truth. But especially for them, for us today, it's heavy words. Especially for them, that would have been very heavy words, right? Your leader says, I am going to be killed. That's heavy, heavy words. How do you think the disciples would have responded? Well, we see James's response in verse number 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came unto him, saying, Master, 
we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. <laughs> Jesus says, all right, we're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed, arrested, and killed. Three days later, I'm going to rise again. And it's as if James and John are saying, yeah, 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 okay. Uh, but before you do that, can you give us something? Before you go and die in Jerusalem, can you please give us what we want? Like, James, really? Are you, that, that's really what you're thinking about? That's really your attitude? James is clearly not listening to Jesus, is he? It's not listening. You know why? He's thinking about himself. He's just thinking about himself. We know that James and John, John also, but we're focusing on James, they wanted prominence. They wanted status. They wanted to be lifted up. We know that the, the disciples, they squabbled about who was the greatest, right? James and John were definitely at the center of that. <laughs> you know that they were there because we know they wanted to be above. They wanted to be elevated. They wanted to have some position and stature above all of the other disciples. Maybe because of their privileged, you know, kind of upbringing and family, maybe they did think that they were special. And so we should be a cut above everybody else. But that self-centered thinking made it so that he was not listening to the Lord. Jesus just told him, I'm going to be arrested and I'm going to be killed and then I'm going to rise again. Just think about that. Imagine if your pastor said, all right, this week I am going to be arrested, I am going to die, and then three days later I'm going to rise again. Everybody would be like, what? <laughs> right? We would be like, what are you saying? Are you serious? Are you really, is that really what's happening here? James and John went up to Jesus and said, okay, but before you do that, could you please just, we just have this one small request, can you do, because if you're going to die, we want to we wanna have this thing before you die. That's, that's James's thought. You know what self-centered thinking does? It means that we can't listen to the words of the Lord, because those words come in, but we're not paying attention. You know why? Because our thoughts are all about ourselves. That's why you can have people come and hear the same message. We're reading the same verses. And one person walks out and says, I didn't hear God at all. God didn't speak today. I didn't hear God at all. Well, the words of God are right here. This is James. This is the same situation. But James, as a disciple of the Lord, we know that he was used. Because even though he was self-centered, at this moment especially, we know that he grew. In verse 35, it says, or we read verse 35, in verse number 36, it says, And he said unto them, what, should, what would ye that I should do for you? And they said unto him, Grant us that we may sit on thy right hand and on the left hand in thy glory. He says, we want to be elevated. What we know about James and John in the future is they did not have this mentality. They started with this mentality, but they did not end with this mentality. You know what that tells us? James grew. James grew. You know what being a disciple is about? It's about growing. It's about taking another step forward. It's about realizing, you know what? I haven't made it today. I'm not perfect today. But being a disciple does mean that you will keep growing. Matthew chapter 4, verse number 19 says, And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Being a disciple means to follow the Lord. So what Jesus is saying is, if you will be my disciple, I will make you into something. 
Being a disciple means, God, I want to be what you want me to be. I will follow you, and I want you to mold me into the image of your son. I want you to do something for me. I want you to help me to grow. And I hope that you come every single week with this idea that you are going to grow. That's what these church services are about. Amen? Why are we here? Why do you hear preaching of the Word of God? Why do we have these life connection classes? Why do we have service after service? Why do we have something like Vacation Bible School? The idea is, I want to grow. I want to grow. I want to learn more about the Lord. I want to be more useful to God. I want to learn in some way. If you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior, what you need to realize is that you need to be saved. I hope that that's why you come, that you need to trust the Lord Jesus Christ to be your Savior, that you understand that you have sinned and you have broken the law of God and that you need your, your sin to be forgiven, to be paid for because the wages of sin is death. There is condemnation and judgment for your sin. But God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died on the cross to pay for our sins. And I hope that you'll think about that and realize that that is what God wants for you. And if you are saved today, I hope that you will be able to look back every year and realize some spiritual growth. Maybe you used to be angry and get angry with your spouse and angry with your children and angry at the workplace. But now God has given to you some peace and you're able to just trust God and say, God, things are not going my way, but I'm going to put all things in your hands. So I'm just going to trust that you will take care of the matter. And maybe you ha had this idea of, I'm coming to the church for myself. What do I get about the church? But now you come with a new mentality of, you know what? If I'm a minister of the Lord, I'm going to come with the attitude. I want to see if I can help somebody else. Instead of coming with the attitude, what are, what are other people going to do for me? I'm going to come to the church and what can I do for somebody else? And you, you see those patterns of growth. That's what being a disciple is about. We see also that he was sacrificially devoted in verse number 38. He says, Jesus says, you know not what you ask. You don't know what you're asking for. Can you drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him, we can. And Jesus said unto them, ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of and with the baptism that I am baptized with shall ye be baptized. But to sit on the right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. We know that James, he was the first disciple of Christ to die for the Lord. Acts chapter 12, verse number one says, now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. James was the very first one to be martyred, to give his life for the Lord. Which leads us then to this attitude that we know that he was self-denying in verse number 41. When the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John, right? James and John asked for this. They see this conversation that they're having, and they are not happy with them. But Jesus called them to him and saith unto them. So obviously, James and John are there with the Lord. The other disciples are a little bit away, but they're close enough to be able to hear they are not happy with this, so Jesus says, I want everybody to come in. <laughs> I have something for everybody to hear. Verse 42, ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. 
And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be the servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So James, as we know, follows this instruction of the Lord, and he goes from being self-centered to being self-denying of himself. James was flawed as a disciple, of course, but he was willing to grow. That's the question we can ask ourselves. Are you willing to grow? If God gives you some instruction, are you willing to grow? As a child of God, as flawed believers who are not yet, you know, we still have our sinful flesh, the things that we do, we would not, the things we would not, that do I, and we're in that situation. If you have trusted Christ as your Savior and you are willing to grow, then God can use you. But how can we grow? Well, I just want to give you two quick thoughts. The first of which is a child can grow, a child of God can grow when they receive the word of God, when they listen to and accept and believe and apply the word of God. First Peter chapter two, verse number two says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. If you want to grow as a Christian, you have to get into the word of God. Amen. There is no growth without the spiritual nourishment of the Word of God, just like in human life, right? There's some other things that you need. You need sleep, you need exercise, you need some other things. But without food, you are not growing. And the Bible makes it clear. His Word is the food that we need in order to grow. That's why every service we preach the Word of God. And I give you verses, and I hope that you'll take a look at the verses and see is this what the Word of God says? Because if that's what the Word of God says, it'll help you to grow. So we need to receive the Word of God. The second of which is to receive the people of God. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 11 says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. So God to the church gives people, why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry and for the edifying of the body of Christ. So you know how God helps his people to grow? He sends other people. Amen? That's why you have people who might come up to you and say, hey, how are you doing in your Bible reading? You know what they're trying to do? They're trying to help you to grow. Amen? They're trying to help you to realize, you know what, if you want to grow, read your Bible. Get into your Bible. Hey, you want some encouragement? Hey, let's meet up sometime. Hey, I want to do something for you. Why, why do we have people in this church who are willing to serve in some ministry, teach a class? Why do you have pastors that are here? What's the importance of that? In order to help you to grow. Verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness wherein they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So the idea is God sends you people who will give you the word of God so that you might grow. So what does a church do? What do we do? We talk about the word of God and we surround ourselves with other people who will also talk about the word of God. Amen? 
That's what we're doing here. How can we grow? We need the Word of God, and we need people to help us to give the Word of God. Hey, yeah, brother, I'm going through a tough time. Sister, I'm going through this thing. You can have somebody say, hey, you know what? Let me share with you this verse that was a great help to me. Uh, let me give you this resource. Let, let me ask you to you know, get into the Bible in these areas. It'll be a big help to you. So James was a flawed disciple, but he was willing to grow, and God used him. The third aspect of James that I want to take a look at was that James was a fervent disciple. The one aspect about James that we, I think, are pretty sure about is that he was a passionate man. He was zealous. He was a man on fire. Mark chapter 3, verse number 17 says, And James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, he surnamed, he nicknamed James and John Boanerges, which is the sons of thunder, okay? So you could think of James as a thunderous kind of guy, okay? Whatever that means to you is probably what he was like. He was probably loud. He was probably passionate. He was probably active. He was probably doing things. James was that kind of thunderous individual. And I believe that James was a disciple of Christ because he was passionate about things. And disciples of Christ are passionate because they have something to be passionate about. Did you realize that God has given to us something to be passionate about? Oh, we have something that is worthy giving our lives for, something worthy of being excited about. We get to know God, amen? Oh, we get to know this God. We get to know and realize God and learn about God. We get to serve God. We get to be involved in the ministry and we get to participate in the work of God. God is not one to say, no, 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 you, you, you go over there. I'm going to do the important work. You know what God says? I want you to get involved with this work that I have that is so important and so vital. We have something to be passionate about because we get to make an eternal impact. Did you realize that if you share the gospel with somebody and they get saved, you have changed their eternity, you have changed their life for all of eternity. They get to go to heaven. They have a relationship with God. Their sins are forgiven. We get to have this relationship with God. Did you know you get to be a friend of God? You can be a friend of God. If you will trust Christ as your Savior, if you will follow Him, if you will obey Him, you will get to be a friend of God. We get to lay a hold of the promises of God and see them fulfilled in our lives. Do you see that as Christians, we have something to be excited about? You know what the world's excited about? The world's excited about making money. You know what the world's excited about? They're excited about sports teams winning a championship. You know what the world's excited about? They're excited about going out and partying and having fun. Now, I'm not against a Christian if God blesses and they, they, they make a good amount of money. I'm not against a sports team, you know, winning a championship. I am against drinking and partying, okay? <laughs> right? Just want to make that clear. But we have something more exciting than that, amen? Oh, we get to change somebody's life forever. And people are giving that up to go chase a dream of, I want to be lifted up. I want to make my own company. I want to, I want to you know, make a lot of money. I want to get my own house. I want to do all of these things. And, and the disciples of Christ are wondering, do you realize this special thing that we get to be a part of? 
that we have something worth giving our lives over. When you see the disciples and how they lived their lives, you'll realize why they were able to do the things that they did. Because in verse number 21 of Matthew chapter 4, the Bible says, And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. The Bible says that he left. They both of them left their nets. They left their boat. They left their father. They left the hired service. They left it all behind. Why? Because they had something worth going for. Amen? They were worth something giving over to God. And so that's why they were willing to make that commitment. That's why they were willing to make that commitment regarding their career. That's why they were willing to make that commitment regarding their family. That's why they were willing to make that uh, uh, commitment regarding everything in their life, leaving everything behind. Why? Because they realized if this is the Messiah, we got to follow him. And great things are going to happen if we follow him. We also see that he was fervent in his learning in Mark chapter number 13. And as he went out of the uh, temple, one of his disciples said unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answering said unto him, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be one left stone, uh, not shall, there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew, asking him privately, Tell us. When shall these things be? And what shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? If you're involved in an exciting aspect that God has given to you, it makes you want to learn more about it. What can I learn more about the Lord? What can I learn more about what God wants me to do? How can I grow as a believer? What other thing is in the Bible that I don't know? And you see that James, he was fervent in his learning. He wanted to learn the Bible. He was also fervent in his living. Luke chapter 9, verse 51 says, and it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up. He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's going through Samaria, and some messengers, apparently some disciples, went ahead to prepare. He went there, but it's pretty obvious that Jesus is just passing through on their way to Jerusalem. So they were not willing to receive Jesus. Verse 54, and when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as Elias did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are, for the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. So they are not willing to receive Jesus. James and John said, They're not going to receive you, Jesus? All right, Jesus, you want us to call down fire from heaven and just consume them like Elijah did? Jesus says, You don't know what kind of spirit you are. That's not why I'm here. I'm not here to destroy men's lives. I'm here to save them. Now, James, of course, was in the wrong but at least he was passionate about what he was doing. And Jesus had to correct that passion and align it according to him. And when that passion was aligned, you see that James, he began to live, he began to be passionate about the right things. We know that James, he was passionate, and I'm sure that he was active, because as we read before, James was the first disciple to be killed by Herod, okay? The devil is not interested in going after Christians who aren't doing anything. He doesn't want to rile them up. <laughs> he's going to let you be. You know what he's going to do? He's going to see those that are doing something, and he's going to say, i got to stop that. And he tried to with James. James was killed. He was the very first uh, 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 disciple that was martyred. 
which tells me that James, he was passionate about the Lord. He was active. He was wanting to do something. Hey, give, give me something to do. I want to get out there. And, and you begin to see that they, they were spreading the word of God. The Bible encourages us in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse number 11, but thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. O child of God, man of God, woman of God, follow God. Follow after righteousness. Follow after godliness. Follow after faith. Follow after love. Follow after patience. And follow after me. You, you know what the Bible is saying? Let's be passionate about these things. Let's be passionate about righteousness and godliness. Godliness is not just that thing that we do on a Sunday morning between 9.30 and 11. That's something that's a part of us. That's how we live. That's who we are. Trusting God and loving others. Enduring. That's what the word patience means. So that we might fight the good fight of faith. Did you realize we have something worth fighting for? And being children of God, we must fight for these things. That's what being a disciple is about. And James was passionate about those things. James was an ordinary guy. He was not special in, in many of the ways that we might think, whoa, that's really somebody. But you know what? He was passionate about some things. He was passionate about the things of God. We know that he was willing to grow. Even though he was not perfect, he had his own flaws, he made mistakes, he, he, he was wanting his own thing. When Jesus says, that's not what I'm doing here, I'm doing this thing, and he needed to grow. And even though he was favored, in many ways, we are favored even above a disciple like James. So once again, will we be a follower of Jesus Christ, willing to be used of him like James?